following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, open up your Bible or electronic device that has a Bible on it. We are in the book of Jonah, chapter 4. Jonah, chapter 4. You guys good? You good today? I feel like I beat you up for the past three weeks, so I'm sorry. Hopefully we'll be a little encouraging today, maybe. I don't know. I can't guarantee anything, so I'm just glad you came back. Like, sometimes I, I feel like, you know, I get up here and I, I open my Bible, I'm like, whoa, they came back. All right. Here we go. Uh, speaking of the sound system, you know, the the guy who installed it and I, we were talking, and he said, this is a really good thing for your church. I said, I don't know, man. They can hear me now. Like, like this, this might not be so good. And he's like, oh, I'm sure they're a gracious congregation. And I said, amen. Um, so Jonah chapter 4 is where we're at today. If you have not had the opportunity to go through chapters 1, uh, 2, and 3, those are on our website, communitygospelchurch.com. And uh, you can uh, go back and, and pick up those messages. After Jonah, we're going to move into Colossians uh, next week. So we're going to jump from Old Testament to New Testament and uh, study the book of Colossians together. So that'll be exciting. That'll lead us up to Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, we're going to do some baptisms. Um, and then uh, we're going to move into Advent, which is Christmas. And uh, for Advent, we're doing an old school Christmas. So we're going we're gonna to preach through all those, you know, passages of scripture that uh, you heard when you were a kid. And if you didn't grow up in church, well, then you get to hear them, right? You could be a big kid at church. That's fun. Um, so Jonah chapter 4, uh, we're going to go through the whole thing, and uh, Neil did a fantastic job reading, so if I get boring, I'll just bring him back up. James Banks talked once of his dear friend David, and as James and David talked, uh, David had a wife who had developed Alzheimer's. There were some changes going on in David's life that made him bitter. He had to retire early to care for her. Her disease continued to progress as it does. She required so much more intensive care than what she was getting, and so he found himself with her. David said to his friend James, I was so angry at God when I had to go be at home with her. As a matter of fact, I prayed about it, and the Lord showed me the status of my heart. And he showed me that I had been selfish, not just in that moment, but for the majority of our marriage. As tears welled up in David's eyes, he further confessed to his friend James, she has been sick for 10 years, but God has changed my perception. 
I see not only her differently, but I see everything differently. Everything I do for her, it is out of love, but it is not my love. It is the love of Christ flowing from me to her. Caring for her has become the greatest privilege of my life. How does somebody who has this situation and circumstance happen in their life that we would look at and say, what a tragedy. This is the worst thing ever that could happen. Say, no, maybe this was the best thing that could happen. Sometimes God answers our desires not by giving us what we want, but by challenging us to change our perception. In Jonah chapter 4, when we all get to heaven, we should run to Jonah and thank him for showing us one of the most disappointing and down times in his life. If Jonah pens this book, he is showing us when he was at his weakest. He's extremely vulnerable here, and he's showing us one of the worst days of his life. He shows us his anger as a prophet, a man of God. He's supposed to be this elevated person. He's supposed to be this awesome missionary, and he's like, I'm blowing it on every level. Can you relate? God sometimes uses our frustration in completely unexpected ways. And he uses our frustration to help us learn and grow if we will let him. It's a change that we can welcome with open hearts. He wants to transform us. So let's look at Jonah's bad day and see if we can see how God challenges us to change. And prayerfully, it'll be encouraging. Verse 1. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. I love that. He was angry. And he prays to the Lord, as you heard. And his prayer is really not a prayer. It's more like he's just talking back to God, right? Like, we view prayers as like really solemn thing. And Jonah's like, let me just talk to you straight. <laughs> oh, Lord, is this what I said when I was yet in my country? Is this what made haste to flee to Tarshish? I knew that you were a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And if you go back to chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and he says, arise and go to Nineveh. And Jonah, as a prophet, says, I don't like Nineveh. I don't like Ninevites. And I think that fire and brimstone should come down upon these individuals. And I know that's what you want, but I don't think you took the time to ask me what I want. And he knows how God works and he understands how God works. So chapter 1, verse um, 3 says, he paid a fare, went on a boat, went away from the presence of the Lord. Back to chapter 4. So God, if you could just let me die, that'd be okay. You ever been there in a situation like that in your life? Yeah, this is pretty rough. Like, if you could just let me die, that'd be, that'd be good. For it is better for me to die than to live. As if Jonah knows what's better for him at this point. Amen. And I love what Neil said, because it's amazing. God says, how's that working out for you? How's that going being upset? So Jonah went out to the city, sat at the east booth, or the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. Pause. 
Because we're seeing some things happen and transpire in regards to how God challenges us to change based off of Jonah's bad day. God is trying to help Jonah see his unrighteousness. In all of our situations and circumstances in life that are far from pleasing, God would love if you could see it from a different lens. And that lens is your unrighteousness, how unrighteous and a sinner you are and how great God is. Now let's underline a couple of words in the first couple of verses. You could underline displeased exceedingly. Basically what that means is it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. He looked at what was happening and how God was working and he didn't think it was a good thing. He thought it was an evil thing. Nineveh repents of their sins, and he became, circle the word, angry. That word angry in the Hebrew means he was burning hot. My daughter had an ear infection uh, this past week, and the doctor looked in her ear, and he said, it is fire engine red. It's not good. But we can help that, right? It's burning hot. It's fire engine red. Jonah symbolizes a couple things here for us. First of all, he's the nation of Israel. But he's also the current church in America today who cares less about God and God's ways and is more concerned about himself and his ways. He's also one who wants justice, his own justice, and not God's justice in his time. So watch this. He prays, if you can call it that, like I said, but his prayer is said in anger. In your anger, the New Testament says, do not sin. I think Jonah's sinning. (laughs) Okay? If you ever wondered what a prayer looks like in anger that's called sin, there's your example. Jonah knows that God is merciful, but he wants the Ninevites destroyed. His justice Right? Disciples went through something very similar when they were walking with Jesus. Pharisees, Sadducees pushing against Jesus. Uh, they look at Jesus and say, should we call fire down from heaven to consume them? And Jesus is like, what? Come again? He's like, yeah, that'd be great, right? We can just get rid of them. You're the son of God, the Messiah. You do your thing. We'll just watch. You ever done that in your life? Just me? All right. I've, I've prayed that a couple times. <clears throat> Nineveh's downfall would satisfy Jonah's sense of justice. But that's not what God wants. Your justice is not God's justice. Your justice is not God's justice. Justice is mine, says the Lord, which shows how righteous God is and how unrighteous Jonah and us are. Look at God's righteousness, verse 2, second half. His mercy and grace extends to Nineveh, and then it goes to Jonah. It goes to his people and even the people that we don't like. Instead of being angry at our enemies, we should be excited when our enemies come to know the Lord. Right? We should praise God that he does three things to all people. And we forget this. We praise God first and foremost that he is gracious and merciful. I think every prayer should start out with a praise. Then you should move into repentance, which is confession. Then you move into asking for yourself and for others. And then you yield to what the Bible says. That's the formula for prayer. It's um, the Lord's Prayer in the New Testament. It's a lot of other prayers in the Bible, too, as well. We see the same pattern kind of as we walk through that. Why would I praise the Lord? I'll give you three things that you can always praise the Lord for in every prayer that you pray. 
God, thank you so much that you're merciful and that you're gracious. I thank you that you're slow to anger with me. And I thank you that you abound in steadfast love. Now, Jess used this word as we were talking about the youth ministry. She said, has said. That means God is faithful to his promises. When it says abounding in steadfast love, it means that God is faithful to his promises. He is pure righteousness. Look at Psalm chapter 86, verse 15. The psalmist says, But you, O Lord, are a good, merciful, and gracious God. This is a good prayer, by the way. It contrasts Jonah's unrighteous prayer. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Jonah should have prayed this. This should have been on his lips. Because he knew how quick God was to relent from disaster and that he would extend his hand of mercy to these cruel Ninevites. The same is true today. We talked about it last week. We need to repeat it a little bit this week, though. The mercy in God, or the mercy and grace of God that has been extended to you in your life needs to be extended to your enemies as well. And that needs to come from your hands and your mouth. Got it? Okay. Because why? Because you and the people around you are unrighteous. Look at verse 4 and 5. Jonah hated so much that he wasn't getting his way, he asked God to take his life. His emotional disappointment shows us what we learn about sinful, fallen humanity. Now, I love this. The, the, the prophet pens his worst day for us, showing his sin nature on full display. He's in all in full rebellion against God. He's not getting what he wants. Now, when we use the word sin nature in church, we probably wonder, like, what does that mean? Sin nature means that you have the natural inclination to sin or to give in to sin. You do not have to teach people how to sin. Parents, amen? Like, it just comes natural. You're like, who taught you this, your mother or your father? Let's go a step further. Grandma or grandpa? I know, grandparents, you're like, we have never done anything wrong in our life. Debatable. The Lord asked Jonah, in his unrighteous, sinful state, do you do well to be angry, or how's that working out for you? And Jonah doesn't even want to talk to God anymore. Did you notice that? Look at this in the passage of Scripture. Jonah gets up, he's like, don't like your voice right now, and like a little kid, goes up to his room. And his room is in verse 5. He goes out of the city, he's running from God again, sits to the east of city and made a booth for himself there. <laughs> He's acting like a little kid. And we look at it and we're like, oh, Jonah, you're, you're so bad. We do the same thing. You get in your car and you drive away, right? You get in your car after church, you go, I can't believe Pastor Jordan said that this morning. Did you hear him? Matter of fact, last week, I looked at my oldest daughter and I said, what's the one thing that we're not allowed to say at home that I said in church on Sunday? She looked right back at me, split second. She goes, you said shut up. I said, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. She said, amen. <laughs> we all act this way. We all fall short. Little kids to adults, it just comes naturally. I love what Spurgeon says. He says it like this. Look at this. He says, as the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It's so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. 
when we're not getting our own way, it might be time to repent. The whole three chapters before Jonah chapter four is all about repentance, 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 repentance. Turn from yourself, ask for God's forgiveness in immediate repentance. Somebody asked me uh, two days ago, they said, when is it best to ask for forgiveness of my sins? I said, immediately. Split second. I did it this morning, actually, by the way. Um, what did you ask me this morning? You asked me if something, something about, I'm talking to Kareen right now, you guys just sit still. Uh, she asked me a question, I can't remember, we'll talk about it in the car on the way home. And I lied to her. I said, yes. And, and then I immediately looked at her and said, I, I lied to you. I'm sorry. She's like, it's okay. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself, Christ, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to our sins. Immediate repentance as believers. In that immediate repentance, we find the power needed to overcome sin. The reason that you struggle in your life right now, the reason that you have pain and problems is because you let sin manifest inside of yourself and you do not give it over to the Lord. Furthermore, you do not give it over to others. It says bear one another's burdens. You have talked to the Lord about some things, but you have not talked to your wife about some things. You've talked to the Lord about some things, but you have not talked to your husband about some things. You've talked to the Lord about some things, but you have not talked to your boss about some things. You've talked to God about some things, but you have not had conversations to get right with your fellow man. Are you tracking with me? See, oftentimes we find repentance is vertical and we go, oh God, I asked for your forgiveness. And he's like, okay, now you have work to do out there. I'll give you the power to overcome sin and live righteously. I can do that. This comes by seeing your unrighteousness, immediate repentance, and then clinging to the cross as you strive to honor obediently God in all you think, say, and do. Look at verse 6. <clears throat> now Jonah builds this pitiful little structure. <laughs> and the Lord God appoints a plant. He makes it come up over Jonah's head that it might be some shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Jonah was exceedingly glad. His focus in this passage of scripture is on the world and worldliness. He's glad not because of God. He's glad because of the plant. Verse 7. When the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. And he attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And then he says, okay, kill me again. Right? It's better for me to die than to live. All of this is God's giving and taking away. Give, take away. Give, take away. God's good at this, ladies and gentlemen. He is a fantastic giver, and he takes it back so that we would keep our eyes and our attention on him. If God does anything to help us change, it's in the giving and taking away of everything. God, being slow to anger, attempts to reason with Jonah. Why does the living God have to reason with a pitiful human being? He does. It says in verse 4, it says, or excuse me, verse 6, he provided a vine which might be a castor bean plant. It grows in hot climates, about 12 foot tall with large leaves. Google it after church. He makes it come up over Jonah. We call this creature comforts. It's like air conditioning and heat and stuff like that. 
This is shade for Jonah's shelter that Jonah's shelter couldn't provide. Now watch this. Here's what God's doing. I think this is so amazing. He's filling in the cracks of what Jonah can't do himself. Jonah builds this really pitiful shack, and God says, uh, you missed a few spots in the roof. So let me, let me, work, let me, let me show you what I can do, right? It's like, kind of like, hey, Jonah, you, you did this. Let me show you what I can do. Jonah's exceedingly glad because of the plant, not the Ninevites. That's the problem. So the next day, God appoints, and the word appoint there, if you want to circle it, is the word provided, a worm that attacks the plant so that it withers. And a scorching east wind. Jonah's even more discomforted, right? Now he's seen Nineveh come to repentance, and now the loss of shade from the vine, and again, he wants to die. Why? Easy. In the giving and taking away of everything, God is trying to get our attention. If God's giving you something, he's trying to give your attention. If God's taking away something in your life, he's trying to get your attention. Look at how God desperately wants Jonah's attention. He wants Jonah to have his eyes fixated on him and him alone. Nineveh's salvation isn't what Jonah wanted. The plant being destroyed isn't what Jonah wanted. Scorching east winds aren't what Jonah wanted. God wanted Jonah to see it's not about Jonah. Put your name in the text. It's not about what you want. It's about what God desires. And the question on the table is, are we going to be faithful to it? God gives and takes away to keep our attention. Jonah is focused solely on himself, not the Lord. And he desires that God would just stop it. Look at what uh, commentator Mather says. He says, life for Jonah is a series of unsettling surprises and frustrations. That's true. But that commentator should have continued because his perception was off. And so it is for us, right? God is using everything in our lives to get our attention. From cancer to canceling your job to giving you promotions to all of the, the wonderful things that you have in your life, God is trying to get your attention. And we don't, as sinful human beings, have any right to be angry when things don't go as planned. Paul said it like this in the New Testament. He says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I've learned how to be content with much and be content with little. He's God. We're not. His ways are not like our ways. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. He works not like I would want him to sometimes, but that's okay. Everything in this world is God trying to get our attention, and when he has it, the response of his people is key. We'll either do one of two things. We'll either sink in our unrighteousness or will cling to his righteousness. Now, key in on verse 11. It says in 9, but God said to Jonah, we got that, how well do you, to be angry, <laughs> I love in, in verse 9, second part, he says, I do well. <laughs> Don't miss that, you know, it's like sarcasm back to God. I would have killed him right there if I was God. Um, man, I'd crush you. Uh, and the Lord says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it to grow. In other words, he's saying, this, this is my world. This is not your world, right? 11. Should I not pity, pity Nineveh? Now, I think this is interesting. That great city in which there are 
more than 1,200 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also cattle. Question mark, bookends. Who ends a book like that? Uh, one of our elders, Jeremy Hood, he always says, what's the rest of the story? I feel that in this, right? Who ends a book like that? That's, that, that, that's ridiculous. Like, I want my money back from that movie, right? But it's, it's, it's fascinating. Watch this. God's showing Jonah that he cares too much about temporary things and not eternal things. Let's break this passage down for a second. The city of Nineveh had 120,000 people who couldn't tell the difference between their right hand and from their left. Who's he talking about? Kids. Kids don't know anything. The Bible just validated it. Amen. Right? 120,000 kids. That means that Nineveh, if they had 120,000 kids, there would have been 600 to a million people in the city. That's a lot of people. And Jonah doesn't care about any of them. Then God says, let's take it a step further. How about livestock? God's telling Jonah, this is my paraphrase version, if you don't care about adults, maybe you care about kids. If you don't care about kids, maybe you care about cattle. And really what God's saying is, do you care about anything? And all of this is intentional. God's trying to get his attention. He's trying to get his people's attention to stop focusing on what's worldly and start investing in what's internal, which is people. It is important we let God give and take away because it teaches us who's in control. That's what sovereignty means. God is sovereign. He is in control. He knows the value of what's temporary. He knows the value of what's eternal. He knows the value of what's materialistic. He knows the value of what's spiritual. And what he's asking Jonah to do is he's saying, take inventory of your life. What do you care about, Jonah? Are you concerned about me and my ways, or are you concerned about you and your ways? Now, here's how this really breaks down. It is a tragedy when God's people care more about the materialistic world than obedience to his will. And so what this looks out and the way this breaks down practically is Psalm chapter 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man who takes refuge in him. So here's, here's what I have to do. Like, I look at this passage of scripture and I think, how, do, how does this get like really practical? It's repentance, and then it's talking about people and taking our hands off what's worldly. And let me just give you like just really practical ways to apply this passage of Scripture. Number one, if you're here today listening online, and you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, you're missing out. If you sit in these pews and you think to yourself, like, I, I have no idea what any of this stuff means, it's probably because you don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So your first response is to repent of your sins. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, trust Christ as Lord and Savior. That's got to be your first step. It's, it's tragic that we have to preach that to the American church because you should already have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. But we realize that there's many people who sit in the pews that have never made that decision to follow Jesus. Okay, so we have that. Okay, Pastor Jordan, I'm good there. Okay, congratulations. So then we move from justification to sanctification which is the conforming ourselves to the image of Christ. And so what that looks like is taking inventory. What is my main concern of my life? 
Jonah, in his vulnerability, is showing us what is important to him. And what is important to you is what's in your bank account. Because if we were to open up what you spent money on these last couple months or years, we would see where your heart is. Is there a tangible way to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Let's open up your Amazon Prime shopping account. And let's just run the list. Well, uh, we, we did this actually for a couple of you in the congregation. We're going to put them on the screen now. <laughs> totally kidding. That's what it means to take inventory, right? What, what is important to me? My house, my car, my success, my security, my health, pleasures. Okay, none of that gets to go with me to heaven. So what do I do practically? Well, then my focus would turn away from the materialistic things and it would be on people. So let's just ask you to take inventory of your life. Of all the people who are in your presence, whether that's Sunday to Saturday, do you know if those people are believers in Jesus Christ or not? This week, I would have you very practically open up a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet and put all the people that you come in contact with in life, put them in two categories, people who know the Lord and people who don't know the Lord. People who don't know the Lord, your mission from here on out is to share the gospel with them until they trust Christ. That's why God puts you in certain places in your life, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, Matthew 28 says, you are to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's your job. It's not a pastor's job. It's part of a pastor's job. It's part of all of our job as believers, okay? So first, practical thing is, identify people in your life who are believers and not believers. Do you do this, Jordan? Absolutely, 100%. So Thursday, we started classes at Grace. 50% of my class uh, are foreigners who speak very little English. 50%. Other 50% are Americans, um, and they're college students, so their English is broken as well. Amen? <laughs> my job with that list is to figure out, and yes, these are Christian college students. Who knows Jesus and who doesn't? That's, that's what I'm doing. I'm figuring out who, who knows Jesus, who doesn't, who needs to hear the gospel, who needs to accept the gospel, right? I do the same thing with every single one of you. You do that? I'm on a list? Absolutely, you're on a list. And if you think lists are bad, read Revelation because there's a book with a big list in it. When I take my focus off the materialistic and put it on people, I start to see myself as a representative of the Lord on earth with purpose. God loves even the most awful people in our lives. So the list cannot just include people that you like. It's all people. His desire is that every generation repent, hear his word, and put faith and trust in Christ. Many of us are calloused and indifferent to this mission because we don't think that we find real purpose in evangelism and edification. And that's a lie from the enemy. The enemy will mask himself as an angel of light and he'll say, you'll find all of this in stuff. And we fail to see our unrighteousness because we're constantly looking at other things. But we have to focus on a holy God who is righteous so we have the heart like Jonah. But you didn't answer the question, Jordan. Why does it end on a question? After the entire journey and all of it entails, God asked Jonah for one final question. Should I not be concerned about the great city? And it is the intent of the book. 
He is going past the skin and into the heart. And God's question for Jonah was, would he care about what God cares about or would he follow his own path? What he's saying here is, are you occupied with earthly plants, materialistic pursuits, and selfish endeavors, which we all run the risk of losing our focus on life's true purpose? Friend, every time we become indifferent, passive, or complacent, God will put a worm in your life. He sends something to disrupt our covetous lifestyles and shake our souls. And the question on the table is, are we listening and letting God's interruptions reign in our lives so that people will experience the same mercy and grace that we have experienced? Jonah doesn't respond for a reason. Jonah's left holding the bag to God's ending question. We, like Jonah, have also been cornered here today as we've heard this passage preached. There's no place to run. There's no place to hide. And we have heard the ending question asked by God to Jonah. And do we want to know why there's no answer? It's because you are Jonah and so am I. And the prophet is really asking the question to you. It's a beautiful masterpiece. And he says, you have to answer God's question. The rest of the story is, for us understanding Jonah, a question mark. But we can take what we've learned from Jonah and put it into practice and respond to God properly. The question is, will we? Let's pray we do that. Heavenly Father, we we thank you that you are indeed full of compassion and, and mercy. And that you have stooped down to save us when we were dead in our sins. And you brought us into your family. If you are here this morning, you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. There's a little white book in front of you. You pick that up. Confess with your mouth that you're a sinner. Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, not as a condemnation, but as a salvation. Come into the family of God. For those of us who are believers, we take inventory today, God, and we ask what's important to us. And I would pray for the conversations that take place in cars as they exit this building. I pray, God, for for people who are here that they would really ask their spouse, their friends, their family members, what is important to me? Is it the things that you're concerned about or is it the things that I'm concerned about? And as a congregation, we would just confess, God, that we are far too concerned about the things of ourselves. And that we have taken our eyes off of you and and the people who you want to come into your family as well. I really pray, God, that uh, this beautiful congregation, your bride, would really build that list. And that they would see in the conversations with people who don't know you and the people who, who do know you that there's, there's so much fruit to be bared there. That this is how we take conversations past the weather. We start talking about what's going on under the skin. Help us to be bold as lions there, but let our speech be seasoned with love. May the people who we come in contact with and converse with hear our heart of concern and not of conviction. May we ask because we're curious, and may we ask because we are concerned, and we want to see people who are far from you come to know you, but we also want to 
Do exactly what Titus says. We want to speak evil of no one, and we want to build up your church. So help us, God, in our speech and in our actions this week. Be honoring and glorifying to you in all that we think, say, and do. May we all have a story next week as we come back and look at Colossians of how we're seeing your kingdom advance and grow. Thank you so much for the book of Jonah, the way that it opens up our eyes, the way that gives us clarity on life and life's true purpose. It's in your name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.